Good morning, my friends, and welcome to a whole nother year of Cowboy State Politics. We should probably have some fireworks to celebrate the collective disappointment of all of the Redcoats that thought perhaps maybe there might be a chance that this program wouldn't continue into the 2023 session. Poor little Redcoats. God bless their pointed little heads. From very high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. And now you can go to the WyomingNewsChronicle.com to get any of the episodes. And that's a lot. This one is the 358th episode of the program. Can you believe that? 358 episodes. No wonder why the Redcoats don't like this program. It just never ends. At this point last year, Cowboy State Politics was only approaching 50,000 downloads, and at the time, that was a huge number. Mainly because there wasn't a single other podcast in this entire state that even came close. And very soon, Cowboy State Politics will eclipse 125,000 downloads. That number is going to grow exponentially in the coming months, and let me tell you why. In about a week or so, another statewide news service is going to launch, the name of which is Wyoming News Chronicle. Myself, along with a number of other folks, have decided that we've had enough of the media in Wyoming. Generally speaking, they don't report facts, and even when they do, you have to sift through their opinion to figure out what the heck happened. Take, for example, the front page of the Red Star's website right now. There's one article with the innocuous title, quote, The upcoming legislative session will set the stage for 2023 politics. Half of the article, and I'm not even going to quote it for you because I find it revolting, is about how incompetent the incoming legislators are in the House of Representatives. How people like Dan Zwanitzer are going to have to mentor all of the new incoming freshmen as if they have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. A number of incumbents lost their seat in the House and the Senate to decidedly more conservative candidates. There's no acknowledgement that the liberal policies that are advocated by people like Representative Dan Zwanitzer are at odds with the vast majority of Wyoming voters. There's a reason why elections happen, and it's not because voters are stupid. It's because they're tired of the policies that are coming out of their legislature, and they want a change. But when you have journalists, and journalists is in quotation marks here, like Maya Shimizu Harris reporting everything that happens at the legislature, you have no other option than to get a biased view of what's happening in the state. There's another article on the front page of the Star that says, Editorial Board, in the new year, let's focus on issues that matter locally. Though it doesn't mention Representative-elect Jeanette Ward by name, it clearly attacks her for her view of the policies of the University of Wyoming. You don't have to visit, nor would you want to visit the University of Wyoming, to know exactly what their policies are, because the Red Star reports on them just about every single day. 
By the way, Representative-elect Jeanette Ward knows more about education than anybody that is riding at the Red Star and probably way more than a lot of the people at the University of Wyoming. She held a seat on the largest school board in the United States. It took around 6,000 votes for Representative-elect Jeanette Ward to win that seat on a school board in Illinois. That's way more votes than anybody in the House or the Senate in the Wyoming legislature. But of course... The people that are riding at the Red Star are not going to report that one fairly at all, nor can they hardly be expected to. They've proven that. And then there's the cow pie, whom I have never seen publish an article that is critical of any of the red coats, like Representative Dan Zwanitzer, the reason why we now have the word Zawanamandering in Wyoming. Or maybe even Nancy Case, who tried eight times in the last two years to get Medicaid expansion passed, two of which he tried to get it added as a sleazy footnote to the budget. Of course, that is not something worth investigating at the cow pie at all. Rather, they just allow him to print his own op-eds. However, they do publish articles with titles so intelligent that it boggles the mind, such as, It's so whack, I can't be sweet. The political prognosticators at the cow pie seem to think that Representative Liz Cheney had a snowball's chance in August on a Wyoming prairie. In fact, they said that she was going to win. And whenever Matt Michaeli, who, by the way, has direct ties to Western conservatives, the political action committee that is directly responsible for the nastiest campaign that anybody has ever seen in Wyoming politics, and who supports the number one redcoat pack in the state, Wyoming Hope. When he publishes an article or an op-ed, the cow pie is the first to print it. Of course, there are random acts of journalism that crop up in both the cow pie and the red star, but you can hardly count on either one of them to give you a fact-based and fair reporting of anything that's really happening in Cheyenne. And so, in Wyoming, there is a desperate need for factual reporting, and that is why the Wyoming News Chronicle is going to exist. Fact-based, with verified sources from each of Wyoming's 23 counties. No bullcrap. Here is what's happening in Cheyenne, and here is how they all voted. If you want to try your hand at being a journalist, send an email to wyomingmediallc at gmail.com. Of course... It's also going to have an opinion section, which is kind of where I come in. Though they would never report on it, even the Wyoming media has to admit that there have been some big stories that have broken on this program. For example, how all of the people that voted against having a special session to deal with vaccine mandates took money from pharmaceutical companies and medical lobbying packs almost directly before the session convened. Weird how their votes lined up with the political views of their campaign contributors. Some of those legislators even took money after the special session from those same people for a job well done. Not to mention any names, Lloyd Larson, but there's several of them. So like I said, to make sure that journalism's not dead in Wyoming, we're starting the Wyoming News Chronicle. So anyway, it's coming. Get ready, my friends. Today's installment of Morning Reload is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or a big roping arena or maybe a giant warehouse, then you should really give my friends Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings a call. 307-674-2532. 
These guys are the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So it doesn't really matter what type of building you're thinking about. Give Nick and Jesse a call, and they'll handle all the details. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. 307 Cowboy Country and Fabrication is your source for smaller buildings, like an outbuilding or a greenhouse or maybe even a garage. Give Bryce and Melody Reese a call at 307-441-1815, and they can outfit you with a building to put all of those summertime tools in, so they're not living in a snowbank like they are right now. Montana Shed Center, Buildings for Life. In a couple of hours, and by the time most of you listen to this, it will have already happened, but the top five elected offices in Wyoming will have the inauguration. A few days ago, I caught up with outgoing Secretary of State Carl Allred. I wanted to have sort of a reflective interview with him. Some of the things he's learned, some of the things that he was surprised about. So here's our conversation. With only five days left in his term for Wyoming Secretary of State, Carl Allred joins me to talk about just some of the things he learned while in office. So welcome to the program, Carl. Well, thanks, Dave. It's always a pleasure to be on here. So I guess let's just start with uh, what are some things that you learned becoming the Secretary of State that maybe you didn't know before you entered that office? Well, it's, uh, you know, when you walk in, it's always interesting. I had dealt with the Secretary of State, whether from the elections, to the business side, to all different aspects of it. But as you walk in and you see just the amount of work that gets done in this office, and uh, I'll tell you, it's it's interesting to look at it. You know, I've always been one who hates the growth of government and wants to keep things pretty tight. And I'll tell you, when, when you see how much gets done with so little employees in this office you know you talk about uh things like the election division there was three there was three employees in there and that's the smallest elections division in any of the 50 states and yet the election results were all compiled and posted before we left the office on election night yeah it was about 12 30 but still they were all up, and they were posted, and it was done. No, I know, at least in Johnson County, we're always the last people to report election results. And so I was wondering if you could just describe for people how election night actually works between the from the county clerks to the Secretary of State's office. Okay, so, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting when you're, when you're part of it and you see this up front. So a lot of the work goes with the county clerks. Right. So let's say the, the polls close at seven o'clock. So maybe uh, by seven thirty, they're done with the voting. And uh, at that time, when they close the polls, then they take those tabulators and they still have to run any absentee ballots that have come in and been turned in through there and get and have them get counted. And then they run their reports, and then there's there's a memory stick inside that tabulator. And they have to t- pull that out after they, they, they run the tape, 
you know, just like on a cash register. They run a tape, a Z tape, and uh, that gives all the balances and everything. And then after that's all done, then they close that out. Then they pull that memory stick. And that memory stick has to go to each one of the county clerks has an elections computer. Now, this elections computer is totally air-gapped. It's not hooked up to the Internet. It's not hooked up to anything except for a printer. That's all that is connected to that. And, and those have to be secure. Only certain people can touch those computers. Uh, most of the county clerks, they're in locked rooms uh, that are under video surveillance. Anyway, so they take those memory sticks and they stick them in there and they've got the software that compiles all the different polling places that you have. And when that's done, then they print a report off of that compiled information. That report that is printed, they check that against their tapes ran off of all of them and so that everything is double checked all the way along the uh, down the road and then they take that compiled report and they send it to my office here via a secured email so they send it in then we get a ding you know hey okay johnson county just came in so we'll print that up three copies and one copy a person takes that in a room with that copy there and they call the county clerk and then they verbally walk through that entire report with them. Now, sometimes uh, there was a couple where the uh, report didn't get completely compiled or something. We call them up and say, hey, you, you missed the constitutional amendments or you missed the judges. Go back and redo your report and include those. And then they send it to us. So anyway, once it gets done, then uh, they'll go through the... Uh, uh, the person that calls the county clerk and they walk through verbally every single race on that thing. And then you got another uh, team that takes another copy of that and they go through it all and they tally it all up and double check all that on that report. Then they bring it over and they bring it back in and the last guy takes and he enters it on the state website, the results. Once he enters it on there, then they're posted as the unofficial results. So once we get all 23 counties in, and of course that takes a lot of work from the county clerks to get all that to us, and every county is then reported, those are the unofficial results. Now, if there were any provisional ballots, the person who cast a provisional ballot, those are kept totally separate. They will not run a provisional ballot will not run through the tabulator. Uh, they don't have the timing marks on it and stuff, so they, it wouldn't accept. So they keep those in a lockbox separately. And then if the person who cast the provisional ballot comes in and they have, whether it's identification, uh, whether it's their voter registration, whatever is missing that makes them file a pro, uh, cast a provisional ballot, they have, you know, um, before the county canvassing board meets, they have to cure that in order to count that ballot. Once they do that, then those will be added to the results. And then the, the county canvassing boards, um, they have until midnight Friday 
uh, of election week there to have those uh, certified results to us. At that point, then we take all 23 counties, the certified results from their canvas boards, and then we compile all that together and come up with the state certified list. And then the state canvas board, which I chair, um, meets on Wednesday morning. And we go through that. Um, the All the other, uh, well, the, uh, the governor, the assessor, and the uh, treasurer are members of the canvas board. And then I chair it. And then... Uh, so then we go through all that and any one of them, you know, if there's questions, we can always go back and pull those records and go through it. If there's no questions at that point, then we certify the results. And then that is the final official count and we're done. Was that more involved than you than you originally thought? I mean, you've been involved in like party politics for a while. Uh, I'm just curious, like if you if it if there was more that went into it than you realized. You know, I, I mean, I, I knew what the steps were, but to watch it all happen and all the people that come in, I mean, it's like uh, on election day, we let all the employees go home a little bit early and then they have to be back here at seven o'clock and then we go to work. And to see all the people that are involved with it, all the teams, uh, you know, the verification with the county clerks, the you know, all the steps going through it, it it's pretty involved. And, uh, yeah, you know, it takes a lot there. And, you know, with that, you know, we also look at the, uh, on Wild Ridge, the online voter registration thing, it, uh, they have to match up those people who voted with the numbers that we end up with from the counties and to verify, you know, hey, we don't have extra ballots that aren't shown you know, attributed to people who voted, who were uh, uh, accounted for at the polls. And uh, so it, it's it's really involved and it takes a lot of work. And as I look around the country and I see a lot of the problems that went on, you know, because in 2020 and in 2022, both. I mean, you look at what's going on in Arizona, Pennsylvania, some of these other states that had serious problems, it's it's good to keep an eye on those and look at what happens to make sure that doesn't happen here. And, you know, there's no question there was some fraud in some of these states. But as, as we look at how things go here and what happens here, you know, a lot of people, too, they don't understand, you know, there was a lot of time, money, and effort put into the, the, those states where they had problems. Wyoming, it's not, it's, you know, you don't get a return on your investment here in Wyoming. We have three presidential electors and the amount of population that we have that's spread out so far, it would take a massive amount of effort to conduct those nefarious things they did in other states here for very low return. And so, but that doesn't mean that the potential's not there. And that's why we have to keep always watching and, and and what can we do to make sure that never happens here? So that is is something to keep an eye on. A lot of people assume that the Secretary of State is just in charge of elections and, that, and that's all they do. Uh, but the truth is, election game night 
is only once every two years for the Secretary of State. So what are some of the other things that that the Secretary of State is responsible for that, that you didn't know about or maybe that surprised you? Like I said, I've been involved with it before, but the amount is incredible. So it, Wyoming is one of the top three states in the country for business formations. You know, you have Delaware, Nevada, and Wyoming. And with uh, a little bit of effort, we could take Nevada out. But um, when, when the business division is fully staffed, including the director, there's only 11 people in that office, in that division. And again, that's the smallest of all 50 states. And yet we, uh, you know, we have over, uh, it's, it's, it's well over 700,000 entities registered in Wyoming. The Secretary of State's office puts approximately $90 million a year into the general fund of revenue. And so the, uh, the people in the business division, they answer over 2,500 phone calls a month with new formations, with annual reports, all the different things, amendments that they have to file. The amount of uh, paperwork is just astronomical. And I'll tell you, uh, it, it is amazing to watch those people work. Like I said, there, with everybody back there, there's only 11. And so especially when annual reports start rolling in, the amount of work that is accomplished, it is amazing. And as I said, we could take Nevada out probably, but there's not enough people back there to do it. The, they are already overworked as far as what they do. And, uh, you know, so... It's kind of impressive. The smallest uh, office, you know, division in in any of the fifty states, and yet we are number three. And a big portion of that is our uh, is our protection of the corporate veil. That's why a lot of entities register here in Nevada. We protect uh, those those corporations. That and that's really what puts us up on the top with that. So that that's an amazing uh, feat that goes on back there. All right. So over the years, you've advocated for a number of different policy changes uh, within the Secretary of State's office. I mean, not just relating to, to elections, but various different things. Since you've been in that office for a few months, what are one or two of the things that now you think need to be changed? Well, um, like I said, because the, the the revenue that comes in, I I think that we could make a bigger push in the business division, but it's going to take a couple more people back there. Uh, and like I said, they just physically cannot handle any more than what we're doing right now. And uh, so that would take a little bit more, which would, uh, you know, I'm all about companies that want to form in Wyoming, but don't want to come here. <laughs> Because we can get their revenue and they can form their bit, their corporate corporate structure here in Wyoming, and yet we don't have to raise our uh, population to do that. So that's a good thing. But there's there's a lot of other things, Dave. I've got a a, a lot of things on Title Twenty Two that I would like to see changed. You know, I reached out to some of the legislators to see if you know some of them can run some of the bills. 
it's really funny. One person that's kind of surprising, um, Sandra Case is actually running one. That's a very good change. Um, I know, but currently right now, if uh, somebody files a federal PAC, that exempts them from having to file any reports in the state of Wyoming. And so what I asked them to do was to remove that exemption if they want to get involved in any of our state races. So, you know, if all they want to do is federal, then that's fine. I, I don't care at that point because FEC, that's their area. But if they want to get involved in our state races, and we have had several of them this last ele uh, election, you know, there's good and there's bad. But the thing is, you need to make a rule for everybody. One of the worst that was out there was uh, Western conservatives. They attacked all the conservatives in the state. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars doing that. And they hid where that money's coming from. I mean, we found where it is, but it, they don't have to report it. And so I asked them, I said, you know, if they're going to play in our state races, they need to file YCFIS reports. And uh, the one thing they missed in the bill, and I talked to them about getting that amended and put in, is I want them also held in our state races to the same limits that our state PACs are held to. So, you know, right now, there's, if they're a federal PAC, there is absolutely no limit whatsoever on the amount of money that they can spend in a race. And that needs to change. So hopefully that bill will get through. There's a couple others in there I'd like to see. One that I've got, and I'm looking for a sponsor for that right now, is I want to put in there that if a candidate wants to have a precinct or two in his district, say he's a legislator, and he wants to have it hand-counted to match against the tabulator, that he can do so if he pays the cost of that hand-counting. And really, that's only going to be the cost of uh, you know two or three election judges because they, they get paid for that for their work as an election judge. And it'll and it would be for you know one day's work because if you're counting a couple precincts and all you're counting is that one race, that doesn't take hardly any time at all to hand count it. And then it says that if that deviates from the tabulated result by more than five percent, then the entire district will be hand counted and it won't cost them anything at that point. But I what I think that will do is. I believe those tabulators are going to come out right the way they are. But if we allow somebody to hand count a couple of these, they're going to come back matching up with, the you know, maybe one or two votes off somewhere there, you know, uh, as they look at it. That was one of the fascinating things about that whole deal over in Park County. And, and we spoke about that the last time you were on the program. But, you know, the county commissioners had a chance to put that whole issue to bed if they would have just allowed a hand count or, you know, of even a previous election, one way or another, that question would have been done and over with. But now, since they destroyed the ballots, you know, there's there's nothing that could be done. And like you say, more often than not, that count is going to come out to be right. With anything, you want to make sure that it is right, that, that we're not just assuming that that's the case. Dave, one of these things a lot deals with optics. In this last election, there was one county in particular that would not allow anybody to observe them 
running the absentee ballots through the tabulator. And uh, so I sent out a letter and I, to everybody. And I said, you know, look, if you allow them to observe you do that, it's not going to hurt anyone. And on the other hand, if you kick them out of the room and you lock the door, then everybody's going to say, what are you doing? As with most things, when you put the, uh, the light of day on stuff, it doesn't hurt anybody to let them be in the room and watch you run those absentee ballots through. On the other hand, when you don't allow them to, then it brings rise to, you know, even if you're doing absolutely nothing wrong, the optics are, why won't you let us in the room? And so there's got to be something going on. And that's where I've always been an advocate to, you know, open things up and let people see. When the appeal was made to the state ombudsman about those uh, ballots from 2020, the time had come for them to, by statute, their legal holding period had, was coming up to expire. And I sent out, you know, and I, of course, worked with the uh, head of the uh, County Clerks Association because, you know, I can't make them do it. But I sent out a request, said, look, hold on to those for a few more weeks. Wait till the ombudsman comes back with his, with his answer. Because if he agrees with those people, then you've got the ballots there for them to see it. If he agrees with the previous uh, opinion from the attorney general, then no harm, no foul. You held on to them in your storage room for uh, a couple more weeks. But if you get rid of them now and the ombudsman comes back and says that they can see them, now people are saying, what are you trying to hide that you destroyed them? So again, it comes to if we're open about stuff, if we work with people and let them see what goes on, that that dispels most of these most of these thoughts. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. There's a bill in the legislature that's going to decrease the amount of transparency as it relates to absentee ballots. What do you think we ought to do with that? Absentee ballots, I'll tell you, you know, personally, I remember back, uh, in fact, when I was first voting and I was in the Army, I voted absentee because I was absent from the state. I was gone. This year, unfortunately, I had to early vote, absentee vote, you know, it's it's all absentee voting. Uh, they just allow people to do it there. But I had to do that because, unfortunately, I had to be in Cheyenne. And I tried to figure out, well, if I left it, you know, and drove over to Evanston and voted, you know, as soon as they opened the polls, if I could be back here in time. And it just wasn't going to work. So I had to vote a few days early. But really, I think that absentee voting should be exactly that it should be you are absent on election day not i'm just too lazy to show up to the polls uh, i i believe that voting is a very sacred privilege in this country that that we as citizens have and we ought to we ought to give it a little more a little more importance than that I remember there used to be a, uh, in fact, it was a, a county chairman in Lincoln County at the time. He literally lived right across the street from the polling place. And he couldn't be bothered to walk across the street on election day. 
So he would go into the county clerk's office and vote early. And I'm like, you know, how important is voting to you then? That you can't be bothered to walk across the street on election day? That bothers me because we have a lot of people who don't, that don't really have the feeling and grasp of the importance of our elections. And uh, so I, I, I think, and just my personal opinion is that we ought to walk the absentee voting back. One of the things that I uh, got, you know, and I'm, I'm looking for a sponsor on this one, is to require ID when you request an absentee ballot. Right now, you don't have to show an ID when you request absentee. Now, you show up at the polling place, you have to show an ID. But if you go in request, or you call them, or you go in there and you request an absentee uh, ballot, you don't have to show your ID, and that needs to change. Okay, Carl. So you have you have Wyoming Secretary of State on your resume now. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna leave office in five days. What's next? Well, for now, I'm gonna go back to work. <laughs> go back and get a little more normalized uh, life back. After that, you know, I uh, I still plan on being involved in everything. Kind of concerned uh, what might happen in our county this. Uh, this uh, next year there's there was a huge push to get the conservatives out of power in our county and there's a chance that i might not be uh i'm i might not be reelected as a state committee now and that would change uh if that i don't know maybe i depending on what's going on at the state leadership maybe i'll run for vice chair of the state party it would it would really kind of be a big hole in my uh, thing. I've been active in the state party for a long time. Uh, currently, right now, I'm the longest serving, continuously serving member of the state central committee. And I'll tell you, I really love being part of that. And uh, I, I, I hope that the Republican Party continues the, the direction that, they're head, that they've been heading. You know, it's funny, uh, one thing as I say, I've been in there for a long time, and I can remember the days back when the the word accountability was like a swear word in the state central committee. Uh, today, a lot of people don't like it because we help publish the voting records of our elected uh, representatives. And I, I believe that if you're going to be in there and you're supposed to be representing your constituents, they have every right to see how you actually are voting. And, and uh, there's a lot of people who disagree with that. But I, I believe that, again, the more transparency, the better. And if you're going to be, especially in the legislature, if you're going to be there, those people that you are supposed to be representing, you know, should be able to see what you're doing. And you should be accountable for it. Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you for taking the time to visit with me one more once again. It's been a pleasure having you on the program, and I wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you, Dave, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be on your program and talk with you. And always open for any questions, and I know people all over the state. If anybody has a question for me, they my phone number is all over the place. And uh, I know if one of the first things I did when I came in here is I told the girls up front, I said, if somebody calls for me, if I'm not in a meeting, you put that call through and I answer calls from anybody. 
So I'm, I'm open to anybody. If they want to talk or they have questions, feel free to give me a call. Once again, thank you very much, Secretary, and good luck. Thanks, Dave. Well, that'll do it for this extended installment of Morning Reload. Have a good week, and we'll talk again on Wednesday in the second installment of our Legislative Outlook series. We'll visit with Representative-elect Tamara Trujillo and get her perspective on what it's like being a new legislator in Cheyenne. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.